Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Ramona Osabel is the author of The Last Animal. Ramona grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She is the author of three novels and two short story collections. Her new novel, The Last Animal, was published in the spring of 2023. Winner of the Penn Center USA Literary Award for Fiction and the VCU Cabell First Novelist Award, she has also been a finalist for the New York Public Library Young Lions Fiction Award, California and Colorado Book Awards, and longlisted for the Story Prize, Frank O'Connor International Story Award, and the International Impact Dublin Literary Award, and New York Times Notable Book Selections. She holds an MFA from the University of California, Irvine, where she won the Glenn Schaefer Award in Fiction. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, Tin House, The New York Times, NPR's Selected Shorts, One Story Electric Literature, Plowshares, The Oxford American, and collected in the Best American Fantasy and online in the Paris Review. 
She has been a finalist for the Pushcart Prize and a fellow at the Breadloaf Writers Conference and the Sewanee Writers Conference. Ramona has taught at Tin House, the community of writers, writing by writers, the low-residency MFA programs at the Institute of American Indian Arts and Bennington. She is an assistant professor at Colorado State University. This was recorded live from the Miami Book Fair, where we were sort of up in this little room, which we talk about, above the chaos below, and we just had a wonderful time getting to know each other face-to-face and talking about her book and her career and all of that. It was sponsored by Moleskin, and the Moleskin rep, Colin, came over and introduced himself, and that was fun, too. So thank you to Moleskin. Thank you to Miami Book Fair. Enjoy the episode. We are thrilled that Moleskin is partnering with us again on another one of our Zivi Books titles. Hell, if we don't change our ways, you can get 15% off paper and bags with free personalization with the purchase of a notebook. The code is ZIBBY, all caps, Z-I-B-B-Y. The notebooks, we're doing some custom notebooks for some of our books, which are absolutely gorgeous. You should definitely get a new Moleskine journal. You can personalize them for your kids or your spouse, give them as gifts, and just go check them out. Check out their website, moleskin.com. And again, you can get 15% off everything paper-related and bags and get some free personalization while you're at it. Again, that's code Zibby, moleskin.com. Thank you to Moleskine. Welcome, Ramona. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books live from the Miami Book Fair in this little conference room with a lot of noise outside. (laughs) Delighted to be here with you. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Your latest book has gotten so much attention. I'm so excited for you. And yet you have this whole canon of other stuff. So why don't we start with The Last Animal and go from there? Sounds like a plan. Okay. Please tell listeners what your book is about. So... I started, the very beginning of the book started when I was living in Berkeley, California, and I had a newborn baby, and she was sleeping on my chest, and I also am a writer, so I was was like, the baby's asleep, I should open my laptop and do some work, and I popped it open, and this story appeared about scientists working to de-extinct the woolly mammoth. And I had this, like, wave of feeling of both, like, here I have this, like, m- you know, new creature that has never existed before in the world lying on my body. And it is, she is mine to protect, and I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> There's no, like, manual. I just have to follow my instincts. And here we are, this species that, like, remove, you know, we just kill things off. We destroy things all the time, tromping around. But then we also have the possibility of making something new or bringing something back. And is that hubris and ridiculous and terrible, or is that something beautiful and real? So I knew at that moment that that would be a novel, but I didn't know anything about what the actual story would be yet. And it kind of sat for a few years before I was ready to pick it up and find the story within that. So it became, it's very much fiction. I am not a um, biological scientist, but it's about a single mom and her two teenage daughters who end up with the chance to try to work on this mammoth project. And the girls are not on board. They're frustrated and feel like they would rather be home doing teenager things than being dragged around to Siberia <laughs> with their scientist mom. But it's a sort of a question of like, if you love something enough, can you save it? Anything. 
Wow. Well, early in the book, the teenage girls proved to be a great addition to the voyage and end up stumbling on this baby woolly mammoth. And they're going through and they're like, wait, it looks like this might be the trunk or this might be this. And then they pull out and now they're the heroes. And the mom has become also a hero by association and all of that. What about this notion of like, our kids can actually help our careers in ways we never would have expected. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a question we're always having to ask because the, the narrative in the world is it's going gonna, it's gonna to set you back or it's going to be something that you have to sort of battle for both pieces, your job and your kids. You're, oh, they're always going to be sort of like trying to pull from the same pot of time and love and attention and it's going to be like you're going to be in that thing of scarcity all the time and having to make a choice and whichever one you're going to choose, the other one will be hurt by it. And while there's some truth in that, and there certainly have been moments for me when I have felt that, I also feel like I know as a writer that my kids are like, they are the source material. Our family, that what it is to raise them, what it is to think about somebody going on past me, what it is to love something beyond any reason or material or language that's like, there is so much of that. And it's, it's a bounty rather than a scarcity. So even when I'm not writing directly about family, I feel like it's still in there. And it's still kind of like, it's what I'm pulling from. So some of the book was, I mean, I had, so that was my second baby. So I had a three-year-old at the same time. And it was, that is like the thick of it where you've got the little, the little one and then the even littler one, like, how am I going to do this? And they need different things at different times. And I had a, it was, uh, my second book was about to be published and I felt like, is it going to work? Is it going to be possible? <laughs> Will I survive this? And I really wanted the answer to be yes. So part of the novel is like that wish to find the story that says yes this all fits together and it all belongs and I get to be whole through it. I don't have to divide myself up between my job and my family. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the book also raises all these sorts of questions of cloning and what's going to happen in the future and can you revive something and what is the relationship of animals and humans? And like, it's like this whole broader thing of like, what are we even all doing here? Right? Yeah. It's like this existential notion as well. It's a lot to pack in a novel. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. It took a while to figure it out. <laughs> Were there any massive departures from earlier drafts like when you were first starting to work on it versus later drafts? Well, a very important one was that not just the early drafts, well into the book, I think until really the last big draft, there were four members of the family. The dad was alive. Wow. But he was kind of just a shadow of the mom. He was never the point. He was sort of like, he was important because it, he helped her get her start and he was much older than her. So she was always sort of even when he was alive in the early drafts, she felt a little bit less than. She felt like the kind of kid running behind trying to catch up. But he, he had no real purpose for a long time. And I realized quite suddenly, I was like, oh, he, his purpose is to be in absence. Mm. The, the reason this book is going to work is because he is no longer there. And the three women are trying to figure out who they are now with him gone. And it's about grief, the immediate grief of losing mm -hmm. somebody, the, the long-term, more existential grief of what we are doing to the planet and what our future here will look like. And it felt like everything came together, like completely in a way that it, it, it just hadn't until I realized that he was not physically alive anymore. Wow. But it only took me, I think, like a couple of weeks to, to sort of pluck him out and to, and to figure out what his death meant. 
It was so simple and it almost felt like my subconscious had known all along mm. that that was where we were going, but I just hadn't, like it hadn't clicked yet. Wow. Yeah. You wrote really beautifully about that grief and oh, from all the you. perspectives. Did you do that from a place of personal experience? My dad is wonderfully alive, so I have not had that grief yet. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> Knock on all the things. But yeah, from other experiences and from watching people, watching my mom lose her mom and friends lose parents and the way that those absences feel like they just never, they shift, but they never go away. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I didn't, you, this, we are sort of taught like you're going to, it's going to be super, super, super sad at first and then it'll get quieter as you go. Like it, it, you learn to live with it, but it doesn't ever go away. And mm -hmm. it's something that is also instructive and becomes part of our sort of like cellular makeup in our bodies and in the way we make choices in the world. And I feel like it's really important actually not to push that away and not to walk away from it and not to do the thing of like, it hurts, so I have to shut the door. Mm -hmm. But what if you what if you welcome that in and actually like work with it and mm -hmm. through it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so... Ramona, how did you become a writer? Where, like, go to the beginning just for a minute. Okay, so I think, I mean, in some ways, I feel like the very beginning is that I was a super shy and awkward kid who I, I had a, like, a couple of really close friends, mostly one really best friend, and that was it. And I didn't know how to be like out loud as myself at all. And then we had a poetry unit when I was in the sixth grade, and I like was myself out loud on the page. And I remember so vividly feeling like I said something real that actually belonged to me and it made the leap into someone else and these classmates of mine who otherwise found me so I mean probably I they didn't even know who I was they were I was like a non-thing but they got it they like felt the thing and they were like whoa that's really that's a really that like made sense to me I'm like ah I found the key it's magic so from then, I knew that I would write. I didn't know what, like, how a career worked or anything, obviously. I was, like, 12 years old. But it stuck. That feeling stuck. And I studied poetry in college. And then I had this idea to write a novel. The only thing that I made me think that it was a novel is that it was very long. Mm -hmm. And it had, like, a lot of narrative stuff. But having been a poet, I did not have any idea what a novel really was or how it worked at all. So after college, I took, it was like, I think it was the second year after I graduated. I had a terrible, horrible job working as a personal assistant for these two very mean <laughs> women. One of them was a little less mean than the other, actually. But I hated that job so much. So I took Fridays off to write and I felt like that was, this is it. I have to turn this into something that gets me out of this situation right now. And I applied to graduate school in fiction with the concept that this was going to be a, a novel thing. Mm -hmm. And I had just enough pages to apply and fortunately get in. <laughs> but when I got there and turned a story in, everyone was like, oh, this is, the prose is really lovely. It's really good. It's, it's no interesting that there's no plot. And I was like, plot? What? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I put that novel down because I was like, I think there's a few things that I need to learn about how fiction works before I can do this. And I wrote short stories for the two years of the workshop, figured out how to write, like figured out what a story was, what my version of a story was. And then I picked that novel back up, but actually divided it in two because I thought that it was going to be both my grandmother's sort of 
based on their stories, two hmm. very different views of the 20th century, the like, you know, poor Romanian Jews and the once very rich Midwesterners. But it was a little big. <laughs> so I divided it in two and that ended up being my first two novels. So, wow. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> two for the price of one. I know, yes. <laughs> Although it's definitely two for the price of two. No, <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I know you've talked about these like a thousand times, but I'm I'm really interesting. So the first the first one started in 1939 in Romania, mm-hmm. and that's more historical fiction. And now you've gone to like spec almost spec not speculative, but what ifs, yeah, right? Yeah. How did you approach that versus this? Some of the approach that feels key to me is that I don't know what I'm doing at the beginning, so I don't have like the the idea that it becomes historical fiction. Though that does have a fantastical element too, so I kind of the fanta- I, the I was more guided by the fantastical piece, I think, mm-hmm. than by the idea that it was historical. Though obviously it's set in 1939, and it was based very much on stories my grandmother told me. I'm her only grandchild, Aww. and she's she's still alive. She's 103 and a half. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. she's amazing. She's like a mutant superhero. Yeah, she's that's she's awesome. an incredible person. So. We had a lot of conversations about her her early childhood in Romania and then coming here and, you know, just all these sort of, like, little seeds of tales that felt like that's really real, that one when she got, she got a bad cough when she was a child there and the prescription was to ride back and forth across the river in a carriage. It was like, this is what you need to do to get rid of the cough. You're going to, like, go very quickly across this river in this carriage three times and the cough will be healed. Like, that was a real, a real thing that happened but also the idea of survival in extreme circumstances. So I started with that, and I the, in the beginning, it was much closer to trying to follow a more real progression of events based on what I knew. And it was okay, but I wasn't doing anything new or anything that mattered. These are stories that, you know, you could find elsewhere. So I, at some point, I realized that I needed to sort of take a step away from that 
from trying to recreate the past and move closer to trying to recreate some kind of truth mm. instead and find something that was mine to say and a way that this story would be alive in the present instead of in the past. Yep. And that's when I had the idea that the, so it takes place in this tiny little Jewish village in the oxbow of a river. So they're almost an island and separated from the world. And they, they realize that the war has arrived, that there's no physical escape possible. And so they decide to imagine that nothing else exists to start the world over again and just shut themselves off. So there's this, leap of imagination and faith that instructs the rest of the story and of course the real world is still going on around them and eventually catches up with them so that's when it was like it became a book then instead of just like you know a sort of document of family stories that sounds like a movie has that wasn't it wasn't made into a movie it was not made into a movie no okay it's it's reminding me of something <laughs> I'll, I'll think of it um well, it should. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And then your next novel was much more a contemporary commentary on wealth and everything else. So talk about that. Yeah. So that's the other, that was based on stories from the other side of my family. This one went further into the, I mean, it's funny to say it goes further into the fictional when the first one is like about people who pretend that the world doesn't exist. So that's definitely And wait, fictional. say the names again, because I don't okay, want to get so them the wrong. I'm really bad with titles. No one is here except all of us. Yep. And the second one is called Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty. So on my mom's side, there was once lots of money, mostly from steel, but also before that from cotton and, you know, all of the, all those old Kentucky kind of money. So Mm -hmm. the money is gone and has been gone for a few generations. So I sort of grew up with these stories of this kind of like big, this bigness of like feeling like we, we are, are, I don't know, like we come from something something that takes up space, Mm -hmm. which is very much the opposite of the other side. There are museum wings with family names, you know, things, there's like a real sort of presence, physical presence in the real world. But I don't belong in that anymore. It Mm -hmm. like doesn't belong to me. So I wanted to write toward that question of like what, what it means to move away from that kind of, that thing that we're taught in this country to move toward. So hmm. how, what happens when we are receding from that instead of moving toward it? And also, what is the weight of the way that money was earned? Slaves and, and, and industry and all of these things we know to be deeply, deeply not right. In the novel, the, the loss of the money happens very quickly, where in my real families, it was mostly because people were artists. So there's a lot <laughs> of great art that got made and money gets spent when you're making art. Um, it is not replenished. But in the novel, I wanted it to be quicker because it felt like it needed to be sort of sudden and shocking and send the mother and father off on different paths to try to reconcile themselves and their identities and who they want to be going forward. And each of them, they live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and each of them believes the other to be home. So they think they're the only one that has left, but in fact, both of them have left, meaning that the children are alone in trying to sort of camp out in their backyard and figure out how to be, how to be, how to exist, how to take care of themselves. So it takes place over the course of a week, and each of them goes on these sort of separate journeys. The mother drives across the country with a giant, and the dad tries to sail to Bermuda with a pretty lady, and the kids are making it work at home, just the three of them. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a thought experiment I would like to have, too. Like, if I were to disappear, how would the kids all function in the house without me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I should, like, put a little camera. Yeah, exactly. Test yeah. it out. 
Oh my gosh. I feel like my kids are just getting the age where I'm like, I feel like you guys are good. Right. Right? I mean, you know what to do. You know how to cook some food. Well, maybe not that, but you can call me. (laughs) Make a bowl of Cheerios or something. Yeah, yeah. Make, but yeah. yeah. No, survival is possible. How old are your kids? (laughs) Um, Eight, ten, and then I have 16-year-old twins. Yeah, yeah. So mine are nine and 12, so Mm -hmm. same zone. Yeah, yeah. Which is good. Yeah. 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 No more worrying about them, like, falling down, you know, the crawling worries and like panic. Like, okay, you guys can figure this out. Yes. Okay. And then you wrote a bunch of short stories and then you have this novel and now what is coming after this? (laughs) Because you haven't done enough. I have to ask you about another thing. (laughs) I, I mean, it is true that because a book comes out, it takes the book publishing process, as you know, is slower than I think people realize. So when a book comes out, it feels like I've, I lived there in that land quite some time ago. And now yep. every, I get to share it and it's wonderful and great. Yep. But it is, I definitely feel like my sort of writing heart has moved to new places. So I'm happy to answer that question. I have three things. I've got a new novel thing. It's very blobby and it's <laughs> sort of like these little like little balls of goo that I'm holding on to and I don't at all know what they're going to turn into, but it is something. I started, I taught a novel writing class last semester and I wrote alongside my class. So I have what came from that and I'm looking back at it now and trying to figure out what it might turn into. And I try to write one short story every season, not to do with the season, just as a way of like three months is plenty of time to write a story in and amongst all the other things I'm doing, but it also keeps me moving moving, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I really like that so I'm still doing that and I'll probably in another year or so have a full group of them and then I'm also working on a craft book about getting unstuck and <laughs> that's uh, like 101 doorways to get through to the next, next part of the book so yeah I'm really excited about that and I'm hoping that will happen too so I feel like I'm sort of living in three different little new worlds I need your craft book <laughs> <laughs> I'm like can you just could you send out a few doorways yeah. in advance? But I don't need a hundred. Yeah. Like just like just, five, yeah. maybe three. Three <laughs> Any, would be good. All you need is one. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And where are you based, by the way? Where's... I live in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, so. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You like hiking, skiing, hiking, skiing. Yep. The yeah. whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yes. But the kids are. It's funny how hiking is like the the last frontier for kids. That's like the hardest thing to get them to do. Is the easiest thing for me to do. But there, it's like not, you know, it's not, you're not flying downwards and gravity is not pulling you. So it is the, it's the, but now they can do it. It's like, we went for a really great, like really long, I mean, long for us, but like eight mile, like real that hike this summer and everyone loved it. And I was like, we did it. We're here. We can, we you have raised hikers. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, we ski and do like backcountry, cross country skiing and all those things. It's really wonderful. Fun. Yeah. What a nice life. Yeah, it is. And what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Oh, man. I think the biggest thing and the thing that I always come back to and remind myself of every time is that it's not about, like, we think of the publication as this, like, glimmering, beautiful sort of, like, prize at the top of the hill. And it is lovely for a moment when you get there and you're like, I did it. I have the thing. I can hold it in my hands and I can share it with people. It, that is amazing and I don't want to minimize it but it is so brief and so small compared Mm -hmm. to the actual relationship that you get to build with your own work and your own mind and your own way of noticing your life while you're writing that is so much longer lasting and so much richer and so much bigger than any of the like accolades or like you know pops of champagne that happen 
And it's there no matter what that publication process does or doesn't look like. It's there if no one buys the story or the book in the end. It's there when you get a crappy review or don't get a review. It's just like that relationship is real and it's, and it's irrefutable. And just live there. Like live there as long as you can. Don't rush to the end. That's wonderful. <laughs> Do you have any books that you are your go-to books? I feel like it changes over time. Justin Torres's We the Animals is a, is something I go back to. It's a really different book than I have ever written. So it's not that I'm ever aspiring to that, but it's so tight and so pure that I feel like I can read a few of the vignettes and I'm like, oh yes, that is what writing should be, <laughs> can be. George Saunders was a really early and important influence. Still the sort of permission of Yes, you can write in your own voice. And yes, you can try something really weird Mm -hmm. and mean it. I feel really grateful that he exists for those things. And Louise Erdrich is another, I mean, she's got, there's, I don't, I don't, there's not a particular book because she has written prolifically and so well in every book. Amazing. I don't even know how that is possible, but (laughs) that's sort of that similar, like writing as yourself, writing about your place in your world and feeling free to move around. She has a lot of work that, you know, follows similar characters in a similar place, but also they're, they're always surprises. So I want, I always want to be surprised by myself. I never want to write the same book again. I always want that feeling of not knowing. So as I'm starting this new blobby novel thing, I'm like, <laughs> hey, this is hard. I don't know how to do this at all. And even though I will admit the yesterday, I'm sitting on the plane on the way here and I'm feeling a little like, Oy, can this be easier, please? Is there like some magic key? How is this book going to work? But I also know that that's the pleasure is that I'm going to find my way through the total darkness and and I'm going to arrive at, I'm, I'm going to actually learn something and I'm going to write something that I've never written before. That's the, like the, the, the harder it is, the more possible reward there is in it too. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And what are your plans here at the Miami Book Fair today? What's your panel? What are you doing? I've got a panel right in a little bit on female characters. And I don't know. I'm going to go to some things. I'm going to also probably try to run to the ocean, not run. We'll take out you Uber, get there, and then jump into the ocean. Yeah, I feel like this is, it feels really good to have some moist air. My hair is very curly and it's, it's extra like, like yeah. widening every minute. I was like, I'm, I'm not even going to blow dry my hair. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I give up. It's not even worth it. It's not worth the 10 minutes of like no. a hotel it's hair dryer. That's like, like, yeah, the little, like, yeah, yeah, little, no, forget no, it. no, it's just, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to embrace the size of the hair that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe drink a mojito. Yeah. yeah. I did that last night. Okay. Yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah. All the things in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Mom's yeah. Time to Read Books. Such a pleasure to meet you and congratulations on everything. And I can't wait to read everything still to come. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.